I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. We who are have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Early this year, a cultural shift took place. It's one of a number of significant shifts that have taken place over the last couple of years. But this one was especially powerful. It started with a small group of women uh, who stood up and said, I've been taken advantage of. I've been abused by those who are in authority over me, and I've been quiet about it for too long. And it, it started very small, but the, the more it began to take hold, the more we began to find out that it was an epidemic in our culture. And you all know what it is. It's called the, the Me Too movement. Now, I'm not here to try and change your thinking on whatever you think about the Me Too movement, but I'm here to tell you that they did something spectacular because... They had a focused message, they had unity in what they were saying, and they had a very clear way to say it with one voice. And what they did was they changed the way we all live with that one voice. And that, see, I think Paul, I think Paul understood the power of that type of unity. I don't know if he would have agreed with everything they were doing, but I think Paul understood what they were doing. See, in, when we started this series uh, in, in the uh, uh, Pray Without Ceasing, it, we asked the question, what if there's more? What if there's more to our prayer life than the daily list of requests that we ask? And there's nothing wrong with those. We're supposed to go to God with our supplications, with our requests. We're supposed to, to pray those things. Not that he doesn't know them. He knows all that. He's already told us that before anything leaves our mouth that he knows what we need. But we're supposed to voice these prayers to him and, and, and then be a testimony to him as he answers them in whatever manner he chooses. So but, but, but what, if there's, what if there's something more to our prayer life? What if there's something deeper? And the answer we found out was, yes, there is something more. There's a higher calling. There's a deeper commitment. There is a God-centered, self-sacrificing, gospel-focused ministry that each one of us are called to. Now, the phrase we came up with was, we're better together, right? Let's say it. We're better together. Say that every night before you go to bed. <laughs> Say it in the morning. <laughs> so we all have 
We all have a part to play. We're one body. Let me give you a, a picture of this. How, how many of you folks do puzzles? You like puzzles? You got the picture on the box, right? Know what it's supposed to look like? We're, we're that puzzle. Together, we form a picture. Together, we portray an image of Jesus Christ. And every one of us that belongs to this church, every one of us is a piece of that puzzle. And every one of us is a vital piece of the puzzle. What happens if you're missing a piece? The puzzle's not complete. The image isn't accurate. So there's no more important pieces than other pieces. We're all pieces of the same puzzle. Now, you can expand that beyond the walls because for all those that are in the body of Christ, they are pieces of the puzzle as well. But we're pieces of this puzzle here at Warrington Bible Fellowship. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. That's what he's been trying to portray. The unity that we have in, in the calling that we've been given and the ministry that we conduct. So we're one body. We're called to know the word of God and pray for those things. Pray for the things of God. Not just for our own needs, not just for our own desires, but for the deeper things of God. And along the way, as Paul showed us this, we heard over and over again about this incredible union that we have with Jesus Christ. How we are designed to work together as a corporate messenger of the gospel. Each one of us bringing his unique gift to the effort. And the effort is to, make no mistake about it, the effort is to bring salvation to a lost world why we're here there are a lot of other things we can do but we're here to bring the message of redemption to a world that is desperately in need of it so that's the whole idea of the puzzle so today today we're going to hear the ultimate expression of that unity this is the last in our series of, of uh, pray without ceasing uh, and what we're going to see today is that that in ways far greater than the Me Too movement, in ways far greater than any movement that has ever happened in the history of mankind, you and I, we have one voice. We have one voice. Now, I love that. I love the idea that we have one voice. But even as we recognize the unity we have together, even as we recognize that we're all on the same path, even as we recognize that, that we have this one voice that we can bring a message to the world, that really leads to a question. What are we going to say? What are we going to say? What do we have to say with this incredible power that we have been blessed with? So I'm calling this sermon One Voice. This is part nine of our series, Pray Without Ceasing. Um, um, Kelly and I will be gone for a couple of Sundays. When we come back, we're going to start a Christmas series. It's going to be called Shadows of Christmas. Uh, we'll be talking about typologies, but we won't do a big lesson on that. It's just we'll, we'll work our way up to Christmas. And then next year, we're going to start a series on Zechariah. We'll go back to the Old Testament. So for our, our passage today, Romans 15, 1 through 7, it's divided up into two partitions, two looks, two glances. The first one is outward. The second one is inward. We will look outward and find our hope 
in verses 1 through 4. And then we'll look inward and find our harmony in verses 5 through 7. So, let me, you know, we've been in Romans a couple times. Uh, Pastor Scott spoke out of Romans a few weeks ago. Uh, so, I, I just want to give you a quick recap on why Romans is there. What it's all about. Now, we know that it's, it's Paul's magnum opus on theology. Uh, but when we understand where it fits in everything, it, it makes a little bit more sense. It's written somewhere around 50, 55 AD. The new church is just getting on its feet. It's spreading like wildfire. And it was time to embrace what we know as sound theology. And so Paul had a number of ulterior motives in writing Romans. He was going to use Rome as a base to launch into Europe. You know, that, so he wanted to make sure that they understood who he was and what they were. He wanted to influence Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. Uh, Paul knew that if he could have uh, the gospel begin transformation uh, in Rome, that he would influence the entire empire, the entire world. Uh, but basically what he wanted to do was recognize that, yes, Jesus Christ has been crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again. The Spirit has been poured out on all mankind, Jew and Gentile. And now it was time to get their feet underneath them doctrinally. Uh, so uh, doctrine is good. Theology is good. We're told to teach that. Uh, but what Paul wants to do is throughout the book of Romans, at the first part of it, the first two-thirds of it, he lays out this theological statement, this doctrinal statement, but Paul never leaves you hanging there because theology doesn't mean anything unless it impacts our lives. So I like to call it applied theology. So for the last couple chapters of Romans, Paul begins to make the theology personal. He begins to describe how this theology is going to impact your life, how it's going to impact your relationships, how it's going to be impact your relationships, not just at home, but in the church and out in the community as well. And he starts this in chapter 12 by describing the marks of a Christian. And oddly enough, one of the first marks that Paul describes of a Christian is that he should live under the authority that God has placed over them. Now, that was a great message for Rome. Uh, because the Roman culture in, in Rome itself uh, was highly independent. And Paul said there's structure here. The structure is placed by God. You live under that authority. But I think it's a message for the 21st century. When everybody's taught that well, you should be able to do your own thing, you should be able to define yourself, you should be able to describe yourself, nobody has to tell you this, nobody has to determine this, you're in control of your life. Paul says, no. No, there's some structure here, and the structure that's in place, God has placed there. So the first thing he says is submit yourselves to the authorities. There's structure, just like there is structure in heaven, in the Trinity. And then in verse, uh, chapters 13 and 14, he begins talking about the law. And the basic message is that we as Christians fulfill the law in love. And it, it's not in judgment. It, it's not in, in evaluating people. It's not in criticism, not, not in condemnation. It is in love and compassion. And so, and, and he goes a little bit further to say, you know, you got to be careful how you relate to the people around you because you don't want to be responsible for making them stumble. You don't want to create an obstacle for them. Really, what he's saying is you don't want to offend them and cause them to be angry because that makes you partly responsible for their anger. And we're not supposed to be angry people. We're supposed to be blessed people. So we don't want to stumble. And so, so then he moves into chapter 15. And we, we take a look at our union with Christ. And we find out that 
our union in Christ should manifest itself with union with each other. Now, this is the scriptural precedent for being better together. It's where this comes from. And we see it uh, in our first look in this passage, which is outward, where we're going to find our hope. And i got to tell you something. When we, we start talking about hope, it's not always what everyone expects. Because generally, when we talk about our hope, we have a tendency to personalize it. My hope. What do I want? Popular definition is, what is my future? I hope it's a good one. I hope God has good things for me. I hope God is going to bless me. I hope God is going to fulfill his promises for me. I hope he's going to give me health. I hope he's going to give me some wealth, or at least give me enough to pay my bills. I hope God will get me out of this jam that I'm in. I hope for deliverance. I hope for redemption. And if we're honest about it, frequently when we think about hope, it is a self-centered hope. What I expect God to do with me. Well, Paul wants to adjust the thinking on hope. And he wants us to see a corporate hope. The hope of the church. We see this starting in Romans 15.1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Watch this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I like the first, the first couple phrases there. We who are strong, we who are mature in our faith. We're talking about spiritual strength here, not physical strength. We have an obligation to bear with those who are not as mature as us in the faith and not to please ourselves, not to focus on their failings, not to please ourselves. This goes all the way back to chapter 12 where Paul tells us not to judge each other he says the church in Rome was probably struggling with that whole issue. And, and we need to understand that that judgment is not always, I think that's person, that person is going to go to hell. But it rises up in a lot of different forms. We, we, we compare ourselves to each other. We, we have a tendency to, to look at other people and kind of come out on top. I would never do that. Did you hear what this person did over here? You know what happened last week. You know, so we have this tendency to do these comparisons, and it causes us to maybe sometimes look down on people. Uh, maybe sometimes it causes us to criticize them. Yeah, that whole idea of I would never do that. Maybe sometimes for some people, it will cause them to whisper in the corners and gossip about them. I mean, isn't gossip the ultimate form of, of self aggrandizement, making us feel good because we're not like these people over here. Now, so all of those things could happen, but I'll tell you one of the worst things could happen in the body of Christ is that type of judgment could cause us to avoid certain people. There are a lot of people in church that aren't like us. So you, you talk about the, the fact that God is bringing us together in Jesus Christ, and we're, we sometimes are avoiding each other. That person offended me 10 years ago. I'm not going to talk to them. This person did that. I don't want to associate with them. I don't want my kids near them. I mean, have we ever heard that sort of thing in the body of Christ? I've been around long enough to know it happens. So we, we, can, we can judge. We can, we can compare. We can avoid. We can deny the fact that we're united in Christ. And I'm not saying the answers to those questions and dilemmas are easy. They're not. They're not. 
but as a body of Christ, we're supposed to work through them. So Paul encourages inclusion and acceptance. Now, I want to be very careful here because what Paul is not encouraging is to open up the doors and let everybody in the world in and say, look, whatever you believe, it's all just fine. We're all one because that's not what Paul's saying. But Paul is saying that within the church, for those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're one with them. We're united with them. And everything we do to put ourselves apart from them, whether it's spiritually, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, denies that oneness. And it denies the fact that we're put together for a reason. So he goes a little bit further. I mean, he goes right back to that whole puzzle thing. I mean, the person sitting next to you is your mortal enemy, and you both profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're both part of that puzzle. And you know how God does things. He's going to put you right next to each other. <laughs> and we'll fight. We'll fight. I don't want to fit into that hole. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable. God will take you there because we're being conformed to his image. We're being conformed to his likeness. So we need to understand that, that, that all of this is, is for a reason, that Paul wants us to be inclusive, uh, but, but not tolerant of unbelievers now that doesn't mean that we're not inclusive of people out there to invite them in so uh, we have to be inclusive and accepting of people that are not like us within the church we have to be inviting of people outside the church and we'll get to that in just a little bit Paul's going to show us that for now as he talks us about being in the body he says in verse 2 let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up now, the Greek word here for please is oresko, and it, it, it means to accommodate. Yeah, I, please is a really good translation here, uh, but the tense of this is probably the most important part of this verb. Uh, B- Greeks have five different tenses. We, you know, we don't have that many. Uh, but what it indicates here is intentional, direct, ongoing, deliberate conduct. So, What he's saying is we have to be intentional in pleasing the people around us. Now, this is another challenge to us here in the American culture in the 21st century because everything that's poured into us teaches us to please ourselves, okay? Everything that we're exposed to says you can be fulfilled by doing this. Even the church culture does that. There's a church for you out there somewhere. There's a church that will please you. There's a church that will meet all of your needs. There's a church that will yeah, we'll go down the menu, we'll look on the website, this looks good, that looks good, that looks good. I'm going to that church because I like that. And then you walk in there and there's a lot of people just like you. And there are very few people that are not like you. So Paul says that's not how we do church. We don't work to please ourselves. We work to please the person sitting next to us and work for his good. This is counterintuitive. It's counter to our nature. We have to think differently. We have to act differently. We have to go contrary to what our instincts tell us. I wouldn't be happy if I had to do that. Paul says, yes, that's probably right. Please your neighbor. Now, when Paul talks about neighbors, he's talking about people in the church, but he's also talking about people outside the church. 
Now it starts getting tough. Why? Why would we? I, I mean, God loved me so much that if I were the only person in the world, he would have died for me. God wants to please me. <laughs> Why would I want to please someone else? I mean, with this bumper sticker theology that floats around and we kind of embrace it, don't we? Why would we want to do that? Well, the next verse tells us in verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So the first thing we need to see here is Christ didn't please himself. Now, apply this theology to your walk. Christ did not hang on the, the cross. He didn't look down from the cross and go, you know something, I'm not very happy right now. As a matter of fact, I think I've been working a little too hard to please you. And it's time for me to have some me time. As a matter of fact, I think I might actually have been enabling you. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do, John. I'm going to get down off this cross, and you're going to have to hang here yourself. Christ didn't do that. We know that Christ was making sacrifice because just before they came and got him, he had to pray, Father, take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours. So Christ sacrificed his own pleasure, his own comfort, so that we could become one with him. And he's telling us, Paul is now telling us, you need to do the same thing. You need to sacrifice your own comfort, your own pleasure for the person next to you so that we can be one. And see, the beautiful thing about that is, you know, even, even as I think about it, I'm sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute, that's a tough job. I, I mean, what, what if the other person doesn't please me? See, and, and then, then I've got to start asking myself some serious questions because I, I, I doubt sometimes that the person next to me wants to please me. Now I've got to say, what is my motivation in pleasing them? You see how deep this goes? Because frequently the things we do, we expect a return on them. Frequently we want to go, we want to go look, I, I'm going to please you today, Scott. You see that, God? See what I did? That's pretty good. Now I get a blessing, right? I mean, we know the character and nature of God, don't we? And we know just about the time that we look up and say, God, where's my blessing? What's he going to do? He's going to make it harder. He's going to make it harder. He's going to go, oh, you have expectations, John. Yeah, well, let, let's try this. Okay, and he's going to make it more difficult to do that. Now, listen carefully. God doesn't do that because he's masochistic. He doesn't do that because he likes to get a giggle out of our situations. God does that because he loves us. He tells us to please the person next to us because he loves us. He tells us to please the person next to us regardless of whether they're working to please us because God wants us to be closer to him and his son didn't sacrifice himself with expectation. All his son wanted to do was please his father. He died so that we could be one with the father. So we're called to do the same thing. This is, all of this is wrapped up in verse 3. And he says, but as written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. If that's from Psalm 69. If you take a look at Psalm 69, you'll see that Jesus is talking to his Father in heaven. Reproaches are insults. And Jesus is saying, the insults against you, my Father in heaven, have fallen on my shoulders. And he accepts them. He doesn't sit there and go, you know, it's not fair that they're mad at you and I take the beating. 
It's not, it's not fair. It's not justifiable that because they rebelled against you, I have to die on the cross. He takes it willingly. He takes all of it without reservation. And so we find out that, that these things that are written in the Old Testament are about Jesus Christ. They tell us about Jesus Christ. They reveal his character and nature. They point towards him. And they give us a picture of what Christ looks like. And so it, it tells us that much in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days, the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. You see, that our instruction part is the important part here. Because that psalm was written so that we know that Jesus made that sacrifice for us so that we in turn can make that sacrifice for others. We're being conformed to his image. We're being shaped by the Holy Spirit. And this is what it looks like. Not working to please ourselves, but working to please others. Second half of verse 4 is that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? hope hope resides in treating other people as more important than ourselves so as we look outward we see a couple of things the first thing we see is that our hope is in Jesus Christ but you know what it's a corporate hope it's a body hope it involves each one of us Christ is in all of us, transforming us, sanctifying us, drawing us closer to God, shaping us into his image. And we know what his image looked like because it's portrayed in the Bible. And we are to strive, we are to practice these things, we are to, to go after that form of holiness that, that portrays Jesus in the Bible. There's the image. How do we know that? Well, he just told us. And if we're going to do that, that requires a couple things of us. There's some effort involved here. And the first thing is, we have to read the Bible. Now, you know, we go through this every year. Next January, we'll start a Bible reading program again. Every year, we have a few more people join us. But we have to be familiar. Each of us in the body has to be familiar of the full counsel of God. We can't just read our favorite parts. We can't just stick to the New Testament. We can't just read the Psalms or the Proverbs. We've got to read the whole thing. Because the whole thing is the puzzle, the image of God. And if we leave a piece out, we're not going to have the full image of God. So we have to know our Bibles, and that takes daily commitment. So it, it, not only do we have to know our Bibles, but we have to be intentional in our relationships. We have to reach out to the people around us. We have to accommodate the people around us. We have to work to please the people around us for their good. And sometimes that means moving outside of our comfort zone. And that means that we have to be sacrificial in those relationships. We have to give our time, treasure, and, and our prayers for the people around us. And that means that we have to have a higher regard for each other. And that means that we might have to have a lower regard for ourselves. Again, that's not, that's not in harmony with what our culture teaches us. So our purpose, our calling is to, as a body, is to look for Christ in each other. And as we look outward, we see, I mean, you could do it right now. I mean, this is just the practical application. Just look around you for a second. You look outward, 
Look around you. Go ahead. I know this is hard. This is awkward. We don't like looking at each other. We're just the body of Christ. You look outward, you see the body. You see the body of Christ. Now the question is, do you see Christ in the body? So even as, even as we look outward, that should cause us to look inward, to see what's in our hearts, to see how living in the body of Christ impacts our lives. So our, our, our second look, our second glance is inward, where we're going to find harmony. Uh, so Paul's prayer for the church, Paul's prayer for us starts in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Now, I like this. May the God of endurance, uh, may the God who is going to keep on keeping on, may the God who's going to get you through the hard parts, may the God who is going to enable you to do these things that are so difficult for us to do, and, and, and may the God of endurance and encouragement, the one who will uplift you, the one who will give you blessings, the one who will help you get through that and give you comfort and give you rest at the same time, grant you to live in such harmony with each other. What harmony we're talking about? We're talking about that union that we have in Christ that he just, that he just described in accord with Christ Jesus. Now, I like, I like the NIV here. Uh, I think it's a bit more clear. It says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus has. That means that we have to think about each other in the church the way Jesus thought about us. Now, I like that because I'm pretty sure Jesus has a pretty favorable impression of me. Hear me? I'm not so sure about some of the people I run into. But what Paul is saying is we're doing a shift here. We're doing a seismic repositioning. Because I want you to think not about yourself as Jesus Christ thinks about you, but about the person sitting next to you, about the person in the other pew, about the person in the other service, about the person that you haven't seen for a while, about the person who maybe has rubbed you wrong a little bit, about the person who has disappointed you, about the person who has hurt you. I want you to see them the way Jesus Christ sees them because Jesus Christ died not only for you, he died for them too. If you profess Jesus Christ as Savior, if you have confessed your sins, if you repented and turned from them and towards his righteousness, then you're saved. And that's how we need to see each other. Too frequently we look at each other through our our personal filters of experience. That's not how Jesus looks at it. Jesus doesn't say, well, he doesn't kind of poke us in the ribs and go, I know that person's a bad person and hurts you. Don't worry, I'll get him later. We've been experienced his grace, and they should experience ours. See, that, that should immediately have an impact on our attitudes towards each other. I mean, if we're truly better together, then we have to be together. We have to look at each other to find not our faults, but to find Christ. Christ is in each one of us. Christ is pouring out of each one of us. Can we see it? Or do we refuse to? Now, we do all this. Now, I love this because this is actually easier to embrace than we thought, okay? 
Because if we all just do this and go, well, you're just a wonderful person, I love you. Put a smiley face on a little Christian smiley face. Okay. What we end up with is a mutual admiration club, don't we? You're fantastic. You're just fantastic. Okay. And, and that's what God wants us to be. He wants us all to have a positive self-image, doesn't he? Why? Why does God want us to make these sacrifices? Why is he pushing us into this area? Why is he taking those pieces of the puzzle and applying pressure to them? Okay, you ever feel like that? I don't, I don't really fit in, but ew, God's pounding this into place because he wants the picture to be complete. Why does he pressure us this way? Verse 6, why? So that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that together we can speak with one voice. That we have that one powerful message that can go out there and change the world. We're going to glorify God. How are we going to glorify God? Not amongst ourselves, brothers and sisters. Okay? We're saved. If you made that move we were talked about, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, we're saved. We're going to heaven. God brings us here on Sunday morning so that we can hear his word, so that we can be equipped to go out there. We're going to bring him glory out there. When the world sees us loving each other, treating each other as more important, working to please each other for the good, the world is going to stand up and go, what is going on? That's not the way I see things work. Everything out here is so tense and so divided and people are divided along political lines and economic lines and, and regional lines and, and any line you can come up. And these people up here are together. They're speaking with one voice. God asks us to make these sacrifices and make these efforts so that we can have one focused message. Union with Christ. See, we're the puzzle. We're the puzzle. And what we want to do is we want to be out there telling people, look, it's a big puzzle. God is putting it all together. We're all important. We all have something unique. We're all part of the big picture. And there's some, there's some room on the fringes here for you. And the puzzle can keep on getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Why don't you come in to Jesus Christ? See what God's doing there? Verse 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The look inward is a heart check. It's a status check on our attitudes towards each other. Status check on our attitudes towards the church, towards the call of the church. We have these two looks outward where we see the hope we have the hope is manifested in the body of Christ and how it functions. And we look inward and see the harmony, how our heart responds to the corporate body and the corporate calling. We have one voice. Let me tell you the difference between the voice that God has given us and the voice that God has given every other lobbying action group that ever existed. Our voice speaks salvation. Our voice speaks redemption. Our voice speaks the secret to eternal life. Nobody has the message that we have. Nobody has been given the voice we have. And the voice we have is imbued with the 
most awesome power the universe has ever seen. He's put us together to speak that message. We have one voice. What will we say? We only have one message, brothers and sisters. It's the gospel. It's all we have. Salvation through Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. See, if we understand that, then we understand Paul's message. Paul says, pray without ceasing. That communion with God that, is goes, that runs just through our day, through our lives, that communion with each other, the church becomes an important part of our lives. The things the church are doing becomes the things that we're doing. We're all pieces of the puzzle. We're all portraying the image of Christ together. Any one of us that is not part of that image, there's a hole in the puzzle, and we're missing part of Christ. So God says we need all of you. We need all of you to be the image of that gospel, that one voice that I've given you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the power of your word and the amazing grace that is shed upon us We thank you for a hard message that calls us to be servants to each other, treating each other as more important than ourselves, Father, because that's what your son did. That's what he portrayed. Let us be an accurate portrayal of that, Father, as we serve each other for each other's good and then turn to this community and serve them for their good as well, Lord. We pray that in all this, you will be glorified, that you will be honored, Father, that your spirit would move among us, Father, enable us, strengthen us, and empower us to be those messengers of the gospel you've called us to be in Jesus' name.